Good afternoon, everyone. My name is uh, Dan Albrick. I am the program's co-chair, along with Jeanette Outlaw. And we've uh, put, a, put a nice uh, program together for today. Just a reminder, today's uh, presentation will be podcast and videocast as well. So if you have any questions throughout, raise your hand. We'll come around with the microphone. And then also, following the presentation, we will be passing on some surveys. And those are very important, because as we go through the next year or so of planning, your feedback, your ideas... Topics, those are all taken into consideration as we put together the next calendar year, which then starts in April. So please take the time to fill those out at the end as well. Uh, as Stephanie had mentioned, um, <clears throat> the date change, or the date is uh, April 16th for our next program. And it's the third Thursday of the month, so make that a note if you do have that reoccurrence in your Outlook calendar. And uh, the topic will be, what's the attraction? It's a discussion on how the rules have changed with site selection strategies and we will also include our economic development friends. And the incentives focused on stimulating business growth and job creation, another very timely topic. That takes us to today, uh, the topic which is, count on it, the dollars and cents of change. And we'll be hearing all about the ADCAR model, which we're all interested in learning, and uh, C Capital One's People Center as a case study. Uh, today, uh, we have uh, Ed Buckley from Cambrin Developments, and also added as of last week, who decided to... Uh, after she got her doctor's okay to come into town, and she joined us, uh, Stephanie Sperlin. She's manager of workplace consulting for Capital One. Ed Buckley with Cameron Developments. Ed is shared services executive with expertise in corporate real estate, supply chain logistics, and program management. They got really impressive resumes. I'm just going to read them out. They're, they tell a great story. So, He is currently undergoing personal change as he transitions to a logistical and customer service support leadership role for the delivery and ground ground school and maintenance training media for major aviation training company across more than 40 worldwide location. Ed has firsthand experience in the financials downturns impact, having launched a software and small development company, Cameron Developments, shortly before the current crisis. After repurposing the company's first product, Blue Ambit, for small business consulting market, uh, mothballing his first real estate development project, Ed returned to full-time employment. Prior to his re recent adventures, Ed was senior director within corporate real estate for Capital One in Europe and the USA. Ed developed his expertise in change manage management, leading major workplace initiatives on both sides of the Atlantic, together with the deployment of new consolidated shared services and undertaking outsourced initiatives. Through the delivery of multiple initiatives at different points in the business cycle, Ed led effective change management programs that built upon the ADCAR model to ensure success, including Capital One's award-winning Plano People Center. Ed graduated with first-class honors degree in construction management from the University of Salford in the UK and obtained an MBA from Open University Business School before moving out to the USA. He is a member of the Chartered Institute of Building and a senior leader in corporate real estate. He spends his free time with his family in Frisco, Texas, and is actively involved in community leadership programs in North Dallas area. I'm telling you, impressive. <clears throat> and a mouthful, too. Stephanie Sperlin, Manager of Workplace Consulting for Capital One Financial Corp. She's a financial industry professional with expertise in Six Sigma process improvement and relationship and program management in real estate and finance. She is a workplace consultant manager with Capital One, managing the Southwest real estate portfolio for the company. Stephanie had the unique opportunity to leverage her process expertise in designing the migration process, incorporating the ADCAR change management model, for migrating over 1,000 associates from different locations around Dallas Metroplex to the award-winning Plano People Center. 
Prior to Stephanie's entry into the real estate world, she was operations uh, analysis manager, leading strategic projects and analysis while launching uh, and leading the Process Excellence Initiative for Capital One Auto Finance. She gained her expertise in process improvement while working for the corporate headquarters of a major retailer where she was trained as, as a Six Sigma black belt and executed Six Sigma process improvement for projects across the organization. Stephanie graduated with a bachelor's in business with a focus on international finance from Wake Forest University. She's a member of Cornet Global Southwest Chapter and is actively pursuing her MCR. She currently resides in Dallas, Texas and spends her free time traveling holding leadership roles in her church community and serving others through mission work and third world countries. Let's give a warm welcome and applause to Stephanie and Ed. Thank you. Enjoy. Thank you. That was nice. Thanks. <laughs> and Stephanie's got the sympathy vote. <laughs> so after an introduction like that, we're not really quite sure how we're going to follow it, so actually we're not. We're just, going to eat our, we're just going to eat dessert and then we're going home. <laughs> but before I go home, I have a question for you. Of five frogs on a log, one decides to jump off. How many frogs land in the water? Got five out there? That's consensus, five? There we are. Couldn't find the clip art. Actually, the, the answer's none. And the answer's zero because deciding and doing are very different things. And that's what this presentation is actually about today. Effective change management at the end of the day is really around getting, getting folks to actually do something. There's a lot of presentations that you can hear and there's a lot of presentations I've heard around the psychology of change and people going through the... the they base it on a bereavement curve, and people are going to think this way and think that way. But at the end of the day, as leaders in corporate real estate, leaders within service providers and economic development uh, organizations, your purpose is to get somebody to do something. And it really gets down to the detail of your purpose, no matter how many hundreds or thousands of people you're dealing with, your purpose is to get every single person to do something. And we're going to go through some tools in a moment. But before we do that, I think everybody is aware we're going through a period of incredible uh, change. This is probably the fastest cycle of change that our society and actually the human race, planet, has ever gone through. We heard, uh, or as we were sat there, looked around and saw all the arms that were going up, um, people being affected, affected by the current economic crisis. I'm one of those. And I'll be sharing a little bit around my personal story and how I've actually used some of these models that we deployed for organizational change on myself to be able to get through. <coughs> Oops. And I should probably... I, I always do this. I, I'm going to have to hand you this back. But with, within, the, within economic change, we have a whole series of other change as well. Um, we were hearing about the sustainable garden that's uh, coming up in southern Chicago. And... Ten years ago, it would probably be unthinkable that we would even think about uh, putting a, a garden in place, let alone doing it. We've got technological change. We have Facebook. I mean, how many people here are actually on Facebook? That's an incredible number of people considering the age of that company. I think more than half the organization. Did you know that HR organizations are now using Facebook 
as a way to reach potential employees. How many people are on LinkedIn? Almost everybody. That tends to be one of the first places that people will look when they want to find out about you, whether it's for a contract, whether it's an employee. And um, I'm going to ask a question. Who here is recruiting at the moment? Let, let alone, so we've, we've actually got a small handful of people that are recruiting. Well, your potential recruits are going to look for you on Facebook, and they're going to look for you on LinkedIn. And this is a whole different change that we're, we're going to have to deal with, and essentially changes life. So as I mentioned, we, we we're going to share some very practical models that help us to deal with change in this rapid environment. The first one of those models is the ADCAR model. It was developed by a company called ProSci. They have some great people that if you really want to get into this and you want to roll out a full ADCAR program, then they can provide you with consultants or you can go on Amazon and there's, there's a couple of books there that give, that give you a really good run through. We found in our change management initiatives that this is probably the one that allows us to control complex change without killing ourselves in the process, and it allows us to actually pick the various parts up. And it's, a ve and it's kind of a very simple way, very common sense way of actually dealing with change. And it really looks at the stages that people go through, and we'll go through these in a little bit more detail. But everybody needs to be aware that a change is going to happen. We're going to talk a little bit around desire, and so that's, that's getting somebody to actually want to change. They might know it's coming, but you want them to do it. Having the tools to change. You know, I, I, I would really like to be, um, to be playing for the uh, English rugby team in the, uh, in the next World Cup. So I'm aware that it's coming up. I've got a pretty strong desire. Um, don't have the skill or aptitude whatsoever, so it's highly unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have action. And the action piece will be very much around the case study, and you'll see everything get put into practice. And then there's the one thing that hard-charging project managers always forget, which is after you've delivered, you actually need to do something to ensure that change is reinforced and that change embeds. The worst change management program that you can have is one that you execute, and then within months or a couple of years just completely fails. And so your job is not over until you're absolutely certain that the change is actually embedded and it's been reinforced. That awareness component, uh, Jeanette asked me to, given the economic environment and the changes we're all going through, to just share a little bit about personal change as well. Now, if, uh, you, can, you can read thousands of magazines on this. You could, I guess you could watch Dr. Phil every afternoon if you wanted to see how people go through their personal change. But there, there is a model, it's a very simple model, that was developed by Jim Lur and Tony Schwartz, really for um, high-potential sports folks, and it's really around managing your energy. And so, as you go into these change programs, the first thing that you need to do when you're managing change is you need to manage yourself. And the way that Jim and Tony talk about this is they talk about managing your internal energy. So it sounds a little bit new age, but it's, it's, actually, it's actually pretty, pretty simple. That you, at any one time, they say you'll probably sit within one of four quadrants. You'll either have low energy or high energy, and you'll either be negative or you'll be positive. For you to be effective in a change management program, whether it's with yourself or um, for other folks, 
You need to move yourself actually into this zone. Somebody with low negative energy, you could probably regard as being a victim. So the, that real kind of victim mentality, everything's coming in on me, I've got no control over this, there's nothing I can do. We, we all know friends that um, go through that. We all go through that ourselves. If you're in that kind of mode, you can't help other people, least, least of all yourself. Kind of negative... Po- Actually, that should be high up there. I've just realized. That's, um, but where you've got the uh, where negative high energy, that's somebody who's really lost control of their emotions and are ex- probably extremely angry in, in one way, shape, or form. Or they're just kind of lashing out. We actually all move through these various phases. Yet, for us as individuals, we, to be able to do something, we need to become fully engaged or we need to make a conscious decision to just disengage. And so, for my, my own example that uh, Jeanette asked us to talk about, you heard that uh, over the past, I guess, 18 months, I've been going through my own personal change. We successfully delivered a campus, and along the way, with a business partner, I was working on some software. We had some customers lined up, and we were really ready to go. Pretty much to the day that we launched, we found um, the economic times were getting really, really tough. And for a small software startup, that started to get pretty difficult for us. And we kind of switched into a consulting mode while we started looking for funding. The venture capitalists then dried up on us. And uh, it was quite a soul-destroying experience to walk into Dallas, which is one of the VC capitals of the world. And every time you walk into a pitch meeting you see that actually your audience is dwindling and your audience is dwindling. And uh, I understand that kind of membership in Cornet's going down, but to kind of walk into a room um, at the end of um, 2007, 2007 and see actually a whole room full of venture capitalists, and then to walk into a room um, a year later and actually see there's maybe about three people there that might be interested, it's uh, kind kind of taught us quite a few lessons. What we did was... We made a conscious effort to kind of stay out of this zone and actually figure out what we were going to do about it. And what we've done about it is we entirely repurposed our product. We know it's going to take us two or three years now to actually get this in because we're going for a different market, but we're actually getting that interest. And we've both, we've both decided to go and look for another job, and thankfully, I've, I've managed to pick something up. But as you'll see as we go through here, I believe the only way that I was able to get through that, and anybody that's going through personal change themselves right now, really implore you to kind of follow this model, or more to the point, follow the quote of uh, probably the, the, the greatest Englishman that ever lived, uh, Winston Churchill. And, so, and I think these times are a, a real example of, you know, success isn't final. We've just come off the back of um, this huge boom era. We're, hit, we're hitting the skids right now, but... Failure is not fatal. We're, we're all going to get through this. But the one thing that we all need is we, need the, the, we just need the courage to continue. And the rest of this, we'll talk about the model that if you've got the courage to continue, will help you through. And it'll help your organization, organizations through what might be some pretty significant change. So the first thing, when you're actually looking at change, and you've got, you've got your little fish here, do they even know what's going on? Seems like, a, seems like a kind of dumb question to ask, really. Do the folks really know what's going on? But is there anybody here 
been involved with major organizational change right from the start. They were kind of cooking up the program. Or they were involved with the executive. So we've got a few folks over here. I would hazard a guess that the first time you announced the change after spending, say, a year, six months, a year on this change management program, getting everything ready, we know what's going to happen, it's workplace change, it's organizational change, it's a complete surprise to everybody when you start talking to them. And there's this phenomena called the curse of knowledge, which those of us that are cooking up these schemes, we all suffer from. And this curse of knowledge is that we've spent so long with that particular program that it's really hard for us to see that somebody else just may not get it, that they may be so far behind our change curve, it's really, it's really unreal. That's a dangerous place for you to be, and that's, that's one of the reasons why we actually need to really manage ourselves, because to get people to the place that you were at about um, a year ago or six months ago may take you standing up in front of people over a hundred times, and we did, to explain exactly the same thing, deliver exactly the same jokes, have exactly the same punchlines to entirely different audiences. And you have, to manage your, you have to manage yourself so the 110th presentation is as good as the first one. The 110th meeting with somebody who really doesn't get it and is really scared, quite rightfully so, they get exactly the same experience to protect the program. You need to place your change into context. I'm not expecting you to write, write this one down if you kind of remember the ADCAR mo model. Remember that any program that you're going through is in the context of a lot of things going on in your organization and a lot of things that's going on in people's lives. One of the biggest things that's probably going to affect some organizations pushing through change management programs right now is the lack of trust in the leadership of those organizations. I don't think we, we need to run through them, but I, I'm sure if you, you were given a couple of minutes, you could reel off lots and lots of organizations where their leadership has made a number of missteps in recent months and recent weeks. And so the folks that work within those organizations will be more than a little bit leery of any programs that come out. As a change leader, you have to deal with that. You also need to deal with your leader and your sponsor. And this is... Kind of blocking and tackling as we work our way through. You'll have your constituents that are out there that um, ultimately will go through the change. You'll also have uh, the folks that you're setting up to help you do this and also the leaders that, that have asked you to go through a program. And these are probably four vital questions that you should ask that leader in the process. You know, your leader... Do, do they actually know they have a role in the change management program? Do they know they need to stand up and be counted? Are they actually committed to the change? kind of helps for a successful delivery if your sponsor's actually fully behind it and um, they're not just doing it because, um, because they were told to. And then if they, if they are committed, why are they committed? Is there a hidden agenda there that you don't know about? Nothing wrong with hidden agendas if you can actually flush them out and figure out what they are. And if they're not committed, what can you do about it? What tools do you need to provide for them so they become committed? Or you can go find yourself another sponsor that is committed and can help that program push through. We're having a conversation with RJ at the table and um, talking about the need for, at the end of the day, the sponsorship for workplace change to come from the top. 
Well, that needs to be real sponsorship. That, that actually needs to be somebody who's going to stand up and push it through and not just do it because they've, they've been told to. The next, once you've got your group aware uh, that there's a program out there, you need to get them interested. And this is really an exercise in convincing people that the grass really is greener on the other side. And within this, you'll need to ask a question of yourself. And that's, are, are you looking for commitment to the change, or are you just looking for compliance? This is a program that's really set up, and a methodology that's set up for trying to get people committed to a change. If you're just rolling out, um, I guess if you're just rolling out a new expense form, or you're changing the, uh, the month that you're, that you're running the budget, you probably just want people to comply. And so a few, memo, few memos and a few kind of uh, little information sessions might well do that. If you are looking for commitment and things like workplace change and organizational change absolutely need commitment, then, you're, then you are setting yourself up for a pretty intensive exercise to actually manage people through that change. And we need to actually ask ourselves on every individual group and Steph will share with you um, an exercise that we went through to actually look at individual names and figure out where they were on the, cha- on the change curve and what we needed to do to be able to get them where we needed them to, to kind of figure out our, kind of our level of investment and then figure out what our return on investment might be for the effort going into a change program. And then you need to figure out wh- when you actually want to engage a group. And you may decide that you want to engage different groups at different periods. But I, if we've got a lot of project managers in the room or folks that have a lot of experience of real estate projects, it should start feeling fairly familiar right now that it's almost a very project-oriented approach. As we mentioned, Ed's never going to play for the England rugby team, but it would be a great idea if once you've got folks keyed up and they're ready to jump to the the greener grass, that we actually are able to give them the knowledge and really the ability to be able to go through that change. Those kind of, those kind of um, I guess, the knowledge really comes down to what, what technology do they need? What kind of behaviors are you looking for in a new environment? What kind of skills and training? And then you start getting into the, the question of, um, especially in today's very, very high-tech um, online world, what kind of channels are you going to use to make sure that folks actually have the knowledge? have the knowledge to be able to change. One of the, um, one of the things I, I was told by a communications expert that absolutely stunned me was that it, it's known in the media that it takes at least seven times for somebody to hear a message before it lands. So when you're going through this exercise, you'll need to, have your, you'll need to really steal yourself for having to provide the same kind of effectively the same content, the same level of training through multiple channels. And you're going to have some folks that really want to see this stuff online, and they'll keep looking at the online little videos, etc. And you'll have some folks where, quite frankly, the only way that they're going to be able to deal with some technology that you're trying to deploy is this overall workplace change or this overall organizational change. If you're rolling out SAP or or you're fundamentally changing the way people do stuff, you may have to Accept the fact that for some people, you'll just have to sit beside them and you'll, and you'll just have to 
be very, very patient and just work through and work through. Because at the end of the day, on any change management program, we're actually changing, we're trying to help individuals change. And then comes the really fun stuff, the, the actual action piece, where people actually go through the change and they move from one state to another. And so I've put up here execution, execution, execution. This is all about um, being able to manage from the, the ground up. So implementation comes from the ground up. Strategy comes down. But to be effective, the implementation really has to be on a detailed level from the ground up. And, here, and here's a little bit of a secret where you'll get your first indication of whether your change management program is working really well. If you've planned correctly, if you've communicated correctly, or you've, or you've over-communicated or you've communicated enough, and you've dealt with people's needs, for your team, this should be an absolute anticlimax. If your team is running around during execution with its hair on fire, then you can take that as a, as a little kind of note for the lessons learned that next time you go through this, then probably there needs to be a bit more change management up front. And so um, you, your folks will have, ha, actually have, have enough to do as they're working through this with just the technical side. For your people, it needs to be an anticlimax because they need to be able to manage their energy too. If they're running around with their hair on fire, they can't help the people that actually really need, really need the assistance. And so this, um, this is actually how it looked at the Plano People Center when we kind of concertinaed everything down on, for a group of individuals, what their change management program would look like. And so um, we're going to go through this in a lot more detail in a moment, but you can see that really over a 16-week over period here, we were all over change management. One of the things that we've also found out in our change management exercises where we've compared this to implementations where we haven't used quite so much change management is that it actually doesn't cost us anything more to put in a fully comprehensive change management program than it does to just not really bother with it. What it does do is it saves our sanity by making sure that we're ready for it and we can help other people through. You're going to hear about the action in just a second. And uh, this, is, this is where I mentioned earlier at the reinforcement phase. So everybody's gone through the change. You've breathed a sigh of relief. And then, th then the cracks start to appear. Your grand scheme to change the whole workplace and to change the entire organization, you start to figure out that there were things that you hadn't quite thought of. You found out that this uh, program that, uh, or even an item of furniture that was the key part of this, the folks don't quite understand how to use it. They don't quite understand how to use the technology. They've done what people are really good at, and they've broken something, and they've broken it because you hadn't actually thought, thought, of, the, thought of the issue. So the, the thing that you can do, and I, I think it ran through Chicago, New York, a whole bunch of places um, on kind of bringing crime statistics down, the whole idea of broken windows. So in this reinforcement phase, what you need to do, you don't need to blow the program up. I mean, that's one of the primary reasons that change initiatives fail. In fact, my understanding is, from a lot of research, the number one reason why change initiatives fail is because people give up on them. And they tend to give up on them at this stage. You've just gone through that initial change, and the cracks have started to appear. And so 
starts getting a bit scary. You start getting really, really nervous. You start thinking about your career. You start thinking about, well, what's going to happen to all these folks, etc., etc. And so the change gets abandoned. When, in fact, in the vast majority of cases, attention to the detail and fixing those broken windows that have started to appear along the way can save your change management program. But what you have to do, and this is something that we've become pretty fanatical about, is you have to actually follow a process in fixing those broken windows. Because psychology being psychology, people don't tend to believe that when things change, it was intentional. So if something was broken and it gets fixed, or if they've had a bad experience from you and suddenly they get a good one, they tend to think it's a fluke. They don't actually believe that you really intended to do it. It's just one of those kind of things that kept us away from the saber-toothed tigers. You know, we, we, we've, we've been attacked by um, three saber-toothed tiger, tigers, and then there's the, uh, there's the fourth really friendly one. We're probably really not going to go back to it and kind of pat it on the head. So what it's important for us to do is to actually go out and ask. Straight after the change management exercise, start asking what, what isn't working for you. Then say what you're going to do about it. Then do it, and go back and tell them you did it. But if you do that enough times, that in itself starts to build the trust that actually you really do care, you really are in control, and they can trust you. And I think, and this is the theoretical stuff, but I'm sure you really want to hear about how one of these programs really gets implemented. So I'm going to hand over to Stephanie. Cool. I'm just going to stay here. You're going to stay there? Mobility is a little optional. So. Okay. Great. There you go. Hello. Good afternoon. So as Ed mentioned, what we're going to do now is really take a deep dive into what Capital One did and how we deployed change management, and specifically the ADCAR model married with process. Um, I have to ask. It's my due diligence. I have to know what's in your wallet. And um, if it's not a Capital One credit card, shame on you. But I digress. So let's talk a little bit just who Capital One is initially, just so we can kind of see the progress and the transition of my company. So actually in 1995, this is just a comprehensive timeline of where actually they spun off from Signet Bank and we became a credit card company. And at that point, we were a financial services company. So really, as you can see, over the, the last several years, we have actually transitioned now to a diversified bank where we offer a suite of financial products and services to customers, to small businesses, as well as commercial institutions. And so it's been fun to watch us journey. And so um, part of that transition we have seen that transition in other aspects of our business. What I want to do now is, before we get into the details of the actual application of the model and the process on that slide that Ed had showed where it was kind of the process steps, I want to set up the changes and the elements of change that we had to introduce to all of these associates that we were touching as we were introducing a brand new workplace strategy. So what does that look like? We had different locations around the Dallas Metroplex. And what we were doing is we were actually building a Plano People Center and a campus setting for these associates. Different lines of business were coming together to be in an integrated work setting. So not only were we integrating them to a physical location, we were completely turning upside down the workplace that they had known and have come and grown accustomed to. And, and I was part of that traditional workplace. And part of that workplace was Many people were in offices, right? Many of you probably sit in offices today, and, and how coveted that door and ceiling is. Who knew? 
um, high cube walls, that very false sense of privacy that you're in in a cube farm world, but it's still very traditional. And then your meetings take place either via phone if it's remote or you're in your traditional conference room. And so what we did is we kind of blew all of that up and said we are introducing a whole new workplace strategy. We said the nature of work is changing. We have increased technology to support this and really look to a more flexible environment with technology to support that. And so these are the different elements that we had to get many associates through this change curve as we were taking things away from them but wanting to introduce to them really the benefits that they were going to get from this new strategy. So the first component that we introduced was actually what we called neighborhoods. So the way that the campus is set up, as you saw right here, is this kind of six-building, or it's long-term six-building campus. Right now, you've got these two and this building right here, um, that they have wings. And so kind of in these wings right through here, what you've got are these different areas. So teams now have what we call neighborhoods, right? So you're no longer just in this linear concept of just cube farms, and you might be sitting next to somebody that the adjacency matters or adjacency doesn't matter. And so you've got these neighborhoods. And in these neighborhoods, we've introduced all of these types of settings, right, to really increase that mobility. So I'm no longer just going to yell over the cube wall to my peer. We might actually go work in a place where we've got um, some lounges and kind of a booth area, kind of a coffee bars. And you've got different areas where you're starting to be more mobile and flexible within that workspace. We introduced different elements because it was more flexible and a more open environment. We said, all right, people still need to have those private conversations. They still need to have kind of confidential work. So we introduced spaces to support that type of need. We introduced what's called quiet zones and phone booths. And in there, you could go in, and they're non-reservable space, and you can pop in and start just um, even having those conversations, those private conversations or pull-ups with individuals if you're having perhaps a manager review or something. So again, this is a different concept. You're no longer going to go into your manager's office and shut the door. You're now going to go into some different types of space. Collaboration space. The IT organization is heavy agile methodology users. And so really starting to introduce that you've got more project rooms as opposed to your traditional conference room concepts. And so really more collaborative type space. And so these were all different types of elements that we introduced into this new work environment. As Ed mentioned, technology is integral and in especially helping people get through the change curve. You know, it was a fascinating study that part of the technology that we supported this mobility was we introduced a new phone system in, in where it was a, a VoIP system, voice over internet protocol system. Well, people that had been with the company for 10, 15 years had had the same phone number. And that was a change curve for them because they had to get new phone numbers. Some people absolutely loved it. They're like, score. I, don't, I can't be tracked down now. I'm getting a new phone number. And then other people had this complete emotional attachment to this four-digit extension. And so even as small as a, a phone number change is part of the change in that, that personal and emotional attachment to what's going on to the associate or the constituents or whomever is going through that change. And then finally, this was the big aha, and, and it, was, it was an aha as Ed and I kind of worked through the workplace strategy, and the decision was made on the actual workplace design for the workstations. Um, it was, he and I had to wrap up very quickly on that curve change as we continued to execute and, and present to people. But what we did is not only are we pulling people out of offices, we've taken away your cube walls. So this is actually the workstations that sit within the campus. And so, you know, there's some definite change there, right? So not only are you concerned about noise, where's my storage going to go, where's the picture of my favorite dog and my favorite vacation on the beach that I can escape to, where's all that going to go? How do I personalize the space as, because we've changed the way the space is used and interacted with? So going through all of these elements, 
people were like, you've got to be kidding me. This is what you're going to take us through. And so that's where we said, all right. I walk into Ed's office one day, and he's like, Steph, I got a book for you. I'm like, great. I get a party favor from a meeting. And it's an ad, the ad car change management model. And it was great. So we read through that. And as, as, we, as I learned that model and really understood what was going on, and said, okay, so this is the model that we need to actually be very rigorous about getting our associates through as we're introducing this new workplace strategy to them. How can we do this in a repeatable and reproducible way? And so that's where we married in the process components. And so we actually leveraged true process tools, such as a critical to quality. We used a SIPOC, which is really understanding kind of your suppliers, your inputs, your process, your outputs, and your customers. And some of those tools to say, okay, how are we going to walk them through this? How are we going to be consistent with that? And then how do we make sure that we've built in enough time for them to start learning the different steps and work through this change? So let me just kind of walk you through in a lot more detail what this process looks like. So right here, this top section right here, that's actually every touch point that we had with every single move phase that we had going of getting folks into the campus. And so right here, we started with this pre-move survey. At that point, we had an initial communication and a pre-move survey to really start to understand people's satisfaction with their current traditional work, work setting. So I would liken that pre-move survey to that's the awareness. Hey, if you don't know you're moving to a new building that's being built down the street, guess what? You're moving, and let's go ahead and capture some information about your current state scenario and situation. Then we came in to what we called the Plano People Center 101. And a lot of the material that you've seen is what we did is we teed up kind of like a college class, a 101 deck to every single person in each move phase. And that's where we really started to plant the desire as well as the knowledge and equip them with the information of what this change looks like, how we're going to move through this change, and kind of that partnership all along the way so that they didn't feel that they were just left on their own out there and say, all right, thanks for playing. You know, we're going to move you. Let us know how it works out. And so that's really what this 101 session was. As you can imagine, it's a lot of information. We were dumping a lot of information at our associates. And so we came back a couple weeks later on this coffee break. And I think a key point throughout change management is that people feel that we're truly listening to them, right? And so we came back and, and we had coffee breaks for the associates and said, okay, it's your turn to talk to us. You've listened to us tell you all about the new workplace. But what does that look like? Um, how are you processing this information? And really starting to tap into listening to their feedback. What questions did they have? What did they not understand from our initial presentation to the associates? And so that's where we really started to introduce that. This section right here is where you really started to get into the action. People learning their different styles, right? Some people needed to physically be trained on the technology. So we conducted that, you know, worked through getting them their new phone numbers. Um, provided tours. We hosted over 60... 60-plus tours to the campus of formally walking them through so that the space could become real with them before they moved in so that it wasn't some surprise. Because it's great to see it two-dimensionally, but to see the way the space and the new workstations interact with one another three-dimensionally brought it to life for them. And so really continued to have these touch points with those folks. And then we actually did the moves. And then, bless these people's hearts, they listened to us for minimum of 12 weeks. And then we said, you know what? You're not done with us. We're going to come back to you after the move, minimum of four weeks, and we're going to talk to you and we're going to listen to you again. And really that reinforcement phase that Ed was talking about where, all right, what did we do right? What worked through this process getting you ready for the campus and, and moving and, and this change? What, what did we drop the ball on? What have we missed? I mean, in little things, right, like coat racks and things like that with an open environment. And so it was great to have that feedback. We took notes. 
we executed on some of the things as we prioritized, and we went back to those associates that provided the feedback and said, this is what we've done. So it was that confirmation piece that we heard you, we've acted on it, we've delivered, and we're continuing to partner and support, with, support you as you work through this process. You know, something that we were very honest up front was letting them know, please know this is not going to be an easy change. We said, expect a minimum to six to eight weeks to work through that change curve. And some of you, it might take a heck of a lot longer. And that's okay, too. And so however we can partner with you to ensure that that happens. So that was what really went on up here. And those were all of our touch points with the actual people taking them through that formal ADCAR model. This was kind of the component as well. And a lot of this work was running below. That was the tactical move process. Here on the actual channels component, this is where we really get into that formality. So as, as Ed mentioned, you know, the, the 101 presentations of the exact same content, hitting the jokes at the same time. They didn't laugh then. I don't think that they would laugh now, but that's okay. We're still working on it. They didn't laugh at any of the jokes anyway. <laughs> you got some giggles on the rugby just because well, it's are. a funny <laughs> image. But um, <laughs> we're here all week, folks. <laughs> um, but what we did here was really in that, so that bottom-up and that top-down component that Ed was talking about, we all know that admin, administrative assistants run companies, right? We, we know it. They know the pulse. They know who to go to. They are an incredible resource. We actually developed an admin advocacy group to be an extended arm of the team because when an associate has a question, who are they going to go to? They're going to go to their admin because they are the wealth of informa information for a company. And so we would target them. They would get all information up front and additional information so that they could continue to be that voice directly with the people that we were moving since they were on the ground and, and they had their eyes and ears to the floor. We also would go through very specifically, as Ed and I went through, and he'd mentioned this a little bit earlier, we went through a very dedicated, very confidential exercise of identifying every single leader within the company and pretty much your executives all the way down to a, a pretty senior man, mid-management level. And we went through the formal assessment of, okay, where is this individual in that process? Um, do they know that we need them to be a voice of advocacy? Where are they on the change curve? Are they really fighting the fact that they're losing an office? How are they going to be, and how do we help get them there? And so that's where a lot of these informal discussions and tours came in. People would really fight it. And so I'd pick up the phone and say, all right, meet me out at the campus at 3 o'clock. Let's go walk the space. And so, and this was, you know, while it was still being built, just to help them understand that. And it was a blast to watch these people literally in front of your eyes move from that compliance that, yeah, they know they have to go along with it because we're moving regardless, to a true commitment, you know, where other people in the company would come back and say, hey, Steph, you know, Steve's really excited about this. He saw the campus and he's like, yeah, it's not going to be as bad as we thought. And so, you know, it was an interesting aha that people's change management curves are actually could, could be dependent on other people's change management, right? So Steve comes back and says, man, the space rocks. It's not going to be as bad coming out of my office. His team's going to listen to that. And so as much as we get up there and talk 102, 110 times till we're blue in the face, some people's change management is dependent on someone else's curve. And so I think that's a really important point to, to make that connection. And then, um, just as we said, kind of that admin and that executive component. And then the other component was, let's really equip the associates with the information themselves. And so what we did is we created an intranet portal with all the same information that we were providing them in these 101 sessions, in the coffee breaks, 
through communications, through the tours and things like that. And we said, all right, people are going to have to move at their own pace. And so what we're going to do is post all of the information here. We had some sections specific for admins that they could get some additional resources as they were gearing up to transition meetings over to the new space. You know, we had things that as people were processing that, they could learn, start to work through that change curve, and then learn what behaviors they might need to modify. The last component that we really introduced was as Ed and I exponentially had to ramp up on that change curve and really in that personal example that he gave, we had to be high energy and positive 24-7 for a 12-month period, right? Because really showing that, you know what, this is a great thing and it truly was, but so people could see that energy and recognizing that, um, you know what, hey, they've made it through the process, you know, it, it should be manageable. And so what we wanted to do was totally tap and say, all right, let's address the problems up front. We know you're concerned with noise. You're coming out of offices and we've taken away your walls. Let's talk about that and let's talk about what we've done in the campus to mitigate that. Let's talk about what are you going to do with your stuff. And so we actually kind of identified those pain points for the folks up front and addressed those immediately. And we were very authentic in that conversation and said, let's talk about that. What concerns, what additional pain points do you have as we walked them through that process? And so, you know, it really just kind of helps us um, continue to have that engagement in that capturing the voice of the customer throughout the entire process. Um, just something to note that you know, we talk about this and we talk about this rigorous program. It's not just one change curve, right? Every single person that we're touching, they're going to have their own individual change curve. So it's, it's potentially thousands of people's change curves that you're having to deal with, not just one program of, oh, well, we've rolled it out, done and done. And so really just um, keeping that in the forefront of your mind. And, you know, the last thing to note is that if all else fails, find someone with a British accent and they'll hypnotize the audience, and they have no idea what you're saying. And so um, on that, I'm going to actually roll it back over to Ed for him to sum it up. I, I'm just assuming that by now it, it, you can actually understand my accent. So that's the... Uh, I was relying on that for the entire speech that you wouldn't actually understand. So, the, so what we've been through here is really that we've just presented two models that in amongst all of the models that are out there around change management that we have used successfully and we, and we can give you a, a pretty good guarantee that if they're followed, they work. And so for organizational change, we've got the ADCAR model. And then for ourselves in here, and next time I'll make sure I get the slide right, um, the uh, managing your own personal energy and where you are is absolutely critical to be able to deliver change. And so... Just leave, so these are the models, and before we go to the questions, I'd just like to leave you with one thing. So have, having been through here, we mentioned at the start that it's all about actually doing something. And so as Mark Twain said, if, if you eat a frog in the morning, then the rest of your day is going to be wonderful. So our request for each of you that might be going through a change of some description right now is to go eat that frog. Just go eat that first frog. And that may be going into an executive and sitting down and having to ask them very, very politely, do you actually know what you're talking about? Do you, do you actually know what you're, <laughs> you're asking us to do? Can we kind of go through this in a little bit more detail? Might be a, bit, might be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm sure they'd actually appreciate the opportunity to be able to um, lay, lay it out properly for you. Or it may be that when you're in the midst of the change, 
your frog may be to actually just force yourself into that high positive frame of mind. Now, I do have a, I do have a technique for that that um, was shared with me that um, you can actually play a game with this. You can go smile fishing. Guaranteed it's going to put you into a, into a really great frame of mind. What you want to do is, um, if you're introducing one of these change management programs, you want to walk down, you actually want to walk down through the workplace and you just want to find people and just smile at them. And, and yeah, I've got one. <laughs> And in fact, if you're really struggling to get your own personal energy into that right place, go find the most miserable person you know and sit in front of them and stare at them like an idiot and just smile. And I'm guaranteed they'll actually get you into the right frame of mind so you can implement the ADCAR model and you can really drive change through your organization and drive change with yourself. So thank you very much. We're ready to answer questions as long as we like them. Thank you very much. That was great. I love, love your models. But I, I have a question about resistance. Um, change brings resistance. And I've seen this model before about you know trying to move people through change. 20% of them are going with you right away. These you know 60 are in the middle, and 20 may never be coming. So invest a lot of energy in those 60 on the fence to you know have the momentum go in that direction. Did you? It looked like your quest was really to get every single person moving in that direction. Did you, can you comment on a degree that maybe aren't coming, and how, how do you deal with that? So I think we, we had to approach it with just that general acceptance, that, that kind of adoption curve. Um, it's much easier to implement it knowing that's probably what's going to happen than, than it is to just get surprised that you've got maybe 20 or 30 people that absolutely detest it, are really resistant. And there are actually techniques, that's one of which Stephanie described, to help with that movement. And the first one of those is, is that acceptance that you as an individual, because you're one of these early adopters, you're charging ahead with the change, there are a whole bunch of folks that just will not listen to you. And their immediate reaction is going to be, well, I know you're saying that, but you're going to say that because you want me to do X. And so that's where the exercise in mapping where people are and also doing almost like an influence chart of trying to figure out who they might listen to. And so instead of working on them, you go work on the person they might listen to, and then eventually they, work the way, they actually do work their way through. But you will be left... You, undoubtedly will be left with some people that really just do not get on board. And at that point, people will either self-select themselves out or other things might, might start to happen. But that's really, that really happens, um, happens across a, a number of areas. So. I uh, wanted to ask you guys, I'm looking at these photographs and trying to, and I'm seeing sort of a newsroom um, approach to designing the the workspaces, particularly those taking away the the walls and all that. And one of the things we didn't mention was was that motivated by cost? Um, why did you take those those walls away? Um, 
And then the second question is, as corporations try and try and impact their bottom line, particularly on the operating cost um, side of the equation, and we see companies migrating to sort of a Regis model, flexible spaces, touchdown spaces, perhaps even a virtual model. How do you mentor change when you're trying to change them to something that's impermanent, that is flux, that is, you know, constantly going to be changing? How do you, how do you apply your, your model to being able to take people, get people used to the idea of, you know, ver, uh, not working in a permanent environment, essentially? So. Um, that's, that's a great question, or both of those are great questions. So on the decision for actually removing the, the walls, the, the way Capital One, it very much that mobility and that flexibility in the workspace is very much part of the strategy. And so that introduction to the southern part of the portfolio was part of the driving factor of that, was looking at what's that next generation of workforce look like as teams are more collaborative, you've got a lot more partnership as, was, as compared to one-on-one or heads-down work. And so that was to support the way the nature of work is shifting, that fact that people are more mobile. They might be working remotely from home or while they're on the road for a trip or something like that. And so part of that was to provide increased flexibility within the work environment to support the way the work is actually changing and the way it's done, performed. So that was that component. Um, on the second component around really that impermanent component, you know, piece of some people are maybe not assigned seats, you know, it's more of that true mobile and you've just got touchdown space. Part of what we did as that application was the technology was a huge piece of that. So increased, you know, wireless accessibility throughout the campus and technology tools to support that mobility was part of how we um, helped people understand that just because you may not necessarily be a resident or have an assigned seat, the space is all completely usable. You've gone from, you know, a six by eight space to 150,000 square feet or whatever the case may be, but you've got tools. We're equipping you with tools to, to use that space differently. Does that answer your question? Um, understanding that uh, everybody's just kind of worried about their jobs even now and today, is there repercussions with um, going through a change program today? Um, people are willing to just kind of jump on board with the program because they're afraid they're, you know, not going to have a job or whatnot. Is there any repercussions with going through this program today? I, I, th I think there's, um, there is a risk that if, because of that external environment, the real driver or the real reason why people might be jumping on board is because they're fearful for their jobs right now and they're just waiting for that, that little uptick. And um, you, I think... It's just as important, if not more important, in this stage for you as a change leader to recognize that that may be a phenomenon that's affecting you and to then not allow your team to back off on the things that you really need to do. Because um, we are in this, I guess, the down spot of the change right now, but it will turn around. And when it turns around, the successful companies will keep the best employees. And so you may not see the impact of it initially, and you may be wondering why you're doing it, but in two, three years' time, when your competitors are after your employees, and, they're you, and they're, um, you probably want to not give them the excuse to come after your folks that you'd like to keep, that you treated them badly during that period of time. So that little bit of extra effort where you're sharing the reasons why, 
you're, you're still preparing people and very rigorously going through the process, I think would pay dividends um, later on. So. Are there any other questions? Okay, i just wrap it up by saying, uh, guys, you guys passed out some surveys here. Please fill that information out, and uh, all that information comes back to us, and uh, we use that uh, uh, for further information and for further programs. So thanks again to our speakers, Ed and Stephanie, for coming out and uh, tra traveling from Dallas to Chicago, and um, we appreciate their time. Thank you.